So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. What's happening, everybody? I have got uh, two longtime friends and uh, pioneers in the uh, archery industry on the other end of the mic here, and that is uh, Andrew Munsell and Sean Greathouse with Hamsky Archery. Uh, what's going on this fine morning, fellas? Hey, thanks hey, for having us on. Yep. Oh, Glad that's a goocher. So uh, I've actually known Andrew since like 99 or 2000, I think. I stayed at Andrew's house in Arizona when there was a Cabela shoot going on down there. If I remember, is that right? The date's close? Yeah, I usually don't admit that in uh, open podcast forum, but uh, now that it's out on the you know table, <laughs> that is a true fact. That's, uh, that the is a thing. The Tucson part or me staying at your house? The, the t- uh, you know, let's just, <laughs> let's just keep it simple here, Snyder. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got, you all rolled down and, uh, we put you up. It was great. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of how our, uh, you know, our, uh, started. You know? Yeah, pretty much. And then Sean, you obviously being a very well-known bow hunter and archer in, in Colorado, I think we just ran into each other, ran into each other at shoots and things like that. I don't have an exact... I didn't, I didn't travel to another state to, to see you. So I don't know the exact date of that, but, um, yeah, I, I think we were running around quite a bit down in the Colorado Springs area, some of those tournaments and such down there. So, yeah, I remember you back in the day when you claimed to be that pudgy little fat kid shooting a bow. So yeah, yeah, we've, we've, we've had some history shooting there. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, see, I kind of tried to go the other direction where I, became like not pudgy and fat anymore and thankfully with age everybody else is kind of going the other way so i can make fun of them now like uh haha you're yep. fat now fucker yep. i'm not saying that about you yeah. i'm just saying <laughs> hey just remember everything's temporary so, you know that's right especially when yep. you're working towards 50 which we're all close to the same age i that it is not for the weak uh growing old i there i'm finding pain in places i didn't think i could um I think we're all close to the same age, right? I mean, I think you guys might be a hair older than I am, but yeah, I'm, I'm the yeah. Old, I'm senior in this group, and it's true. It's, you know, <laughs> getting old isn't for sissy, so that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. So I just uh, graduated to the uh, old man class last year, so I just turned fifty. Uh, I'll turn fifty in or fifty-one in February. So yeah. Getting older is not for the faint of heart. Yeah, well, it it happens. Um, but before we talk about how we're all uh, getting old and weak, um, for those who haven't, uh, you know, are, don't know behind the scenes, because you guys, uh, you know, don't really flash yourselves out as much on on the Hamsky side of things. So these two are the owners of Hamsky Archery. Um, those, uh, that follow along with me, the arrow rest and the, uh, the, the site leveler for third axis leveling are, uh, are something I talk about frequently, but you, you guys offer quite a few different products, the peep sites and multiple other things. Talk about your history, how Hamsky got started and, uh, kind of where you guys are looking at seeing it going. Uh, you've kind of taken over the world when it comes to the rest, rest side of things for sure. 
well, thanks, thanks for that intro. Yeah, we uh, we're just I just you don't want to be self-deprecating in any way, shape, or form, but we're just kind of like bow hunters, and we started as that, and that's um, you know I ran into Sean and over the years just on the front range here shooting, competing against each other, and we just kind of got to talking over the years, and we just were commiserating, complaining about how equipment could be better. Um, and then, you know, we went, Sean and I went up to Yankton, I think it was in 2008. Does that sound right, Sean? Uh, and, like uh, 2007, somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah. So we went up there for the 3D national thing and, uh, ran into Tim and, um, the three of us got to chatting a little bit and then, yeah, I introduced Sean to Tim, and and then Sean, you want to take take the story uh, on from there? Well, yeah, you know, we were uh, obviously living out our passion. Tournament archery was a big thing for us, as well as uh, bow hunting. Um, obviously, we all get into the tournament archery side of things to uh, hone our bow hunting skills and target, you know, making sure that we're accurate and all. And uh, started traveling with. Um, Tim to the ASAs, you know, he's from Utah. We're from Colorado. Uh, most of these guys are traveling to the ASAs east and, and, uh, other side of the country. And so it just made good sense for us to, uh, you know, jump on airplanes, meet relatively at the same time and, and share a rental car and hotel. And, uh, so Tim and I were traveling at these ASAs and, uh, one evening he was, uh, we were rooming together and he was complaining about an equipment failure that he had had that day and pretty frustrated. And he, uh, looked over at me and said, you know, great house. We ought to just start our own, uh, accessory building business. And I was kind of burned out in my day to day, uh, business that I had owned and was kind of ready to do something different and said, Hey, let's, let's do it. And he said, really? I said, sure. And that was all that we said about it that evening. And, and then, uh, fast forward to the end of the ASA season, we were planning an elk hunt up in Idaho and Andrew was, uh, joining us. And, uh, the, the three of us came to a decision that all three of us ought to, uh, uh, do this, this, uh, thing that later became known as Hamsky archery. And, uh, so that's kind of how we got going. Nothing to add to that, Andrew? Well, I got a lot. I don't know how much time we have, but, you know, <laughs> see, we almost bought a horse on that trip. We thought we were oh, going to buy a horse. That, that was yeah. sketch. Um, I, uh, you know, I asked Sean and Tim. Sean was telling me about this uh, decision that him and Tim made, and I go, uh, y'all need an engineer? <laughs> and so um, I thought it might be important to have someone that – you know, had the passion for archery and can noodle on designs and put them in front of Tim and Sean where we could get the best of, you know, everyone's inputs and come out with just better equipment. And uh, you mentioned the arrow rest and the leveler. We came out with an arrow level at the ATA show this year. Uh, but I think one of our um, crown jewels at Hamsky is also our peep, peep system with the baffling technology in it. You know, we, basically reshape the industry on what a peep site could be and should be. Um, so 
And uh, so, yeah, those are, we're proud of those things. And we just always continue to peck away at them and make them better and, and uh, just, you know, more reliable, all those things. So, yeah. So let's uh, dive down um, the rabbit hole a little bit on a few of the different options that you guys uh, carry for. And, and I'm basing this off of when I do like Q and A's and seminars and I get uh, abnormal amount of questions and, and both of you have known me a long time. I'm a good uh, maybe instructor for certain things. And then other things I'm kind of like, maybe not as, as in depth um, as I should be, which you guys will be for this. So like the peep um, people were asking me about it and I'm like, well, you don't get, you know, tunneling quite so bad. And they're like tunneling. And then I'm like, well, can't explain what I'm saying. Explain why the peep is, is different. Cause I have not done a great job of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So, so, um, you know, I have, um, been fortunate enough to be exposed to other engineering, um, disciplines and other industries. And the peep site <clears throat> just, you know, started off my house, my archery range of my house faces west because the rest of the neighborhood faces east. So I can't shoot my neighbors. Well, I'm not supposed to. So uh, when I come home to practice, the sun is always setting. <clears throat> and uh, if anyone shot at, you know, when the sun's low on the horizon, you, you get this bad glare, even whether it's setting or rising, right? Even at uh, in the morning, you can get some really bad glare in a smooth tube, which is known as a peep or a scope. Um, so I just, uh, just right. Applied some technology that's used in space optics and telescopes where they put light baffling in there. And what it does is it kills that glare. So if you have light that's incident at a very shallow angle on a flat surface, it'll bounce, um, just like an arrow skipping off the ground. So that's one way to describe it, Aaron. So imagine light coming in as an arrow. Glances, glances off um, a hard surface and it bounce up, bounces back up, just like a frisbee or an arrow. What those baffles do is, it imagine having a putting up a, a, a short wall, you know, like it, and like a, I mean, a piece of wood or something, and the arrow glances off the hard surface and then hits that light baffle, and then that glare, that light that would normally be glare, is. Uh, terminated. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. That so, yeah, no, that makes yeah. sense. So, so, that's, so that's what those light baffles do. And that's our part of our patented technology. So, so with that, um, you guys offer, like I have Raptor peeps uh, on my hunting bows, but go through mm -hmm. kind of the top to bottom system that, that, um, that you guys offer. Cause it, it, you don't offer just Raptor peep, which is more of a hunting peep. You have a, you have a yeah. full, kid as well. Sean, you want to take that one or you? Yeah. Um, so our, uh, when we came to the market with this design, we originally came to it uh, with it in 2017 with the, uh, what we call the insight, uh, peep system. And, um, there was, um, several things that were fairly unique at that time with that, uh, system. Um, you know, our housings were uh, machined out of magnesium, so it was a it was a larger uh, peep, you know, tubular with the light baffles on the, uh, um, I guess, the away side from the eye, and then we have the uh, um, removable clarifying lenses, which for target archers is what helps 
clear up the uh, scope with different magnification scopes. There's different uh, formulas and such based on, you know, what your uh, uh, peep to your scope length is and different things. And we have charts and stuff that help figure out which clarifying lens you need. Uh, but then we also have interchangeable apertures. Um, and so the whole system is kind of a three-piece design. Uh, you've got a removable clarifying lens, which has the uh, oilophobic and hydrophobic coatings on it, um, anti-reflective type coatings, et cetera. The, um, uh, and then the apertures, which you can interchange based on uh, your uh, scope size, your lighting conditions, etc. So that was kind of our initial offering into the market. And that uh, in 2017, that, that there was nothing else like it at the time. Um, and uh, so it, it really took off well and uh, forced some of the competition to up their game and, and come out with uh, uh, comparable uh, type items. I would say there, there, there are some definite differences between uh, ours and the competition, but uh, basically that's, that's kind of our uh, insight peep system. Gotcha. So uh, we're going to kind of bounce back and forth here. So like with the, 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 the peep sites, obviously bouncing back and forth, like I said, the Raptor that I hunt with and, you know, then you have the, the more target side of things. One thing that, that since you guys aren't really, and I don't mean this disparaging way, you're not really flashy out in the public's eye as, as much as maybe you, you, you should or could be. You're both very accomplished bow hunters, and I, I want to make sure we touch on that now before I forget. Um, Sean, I think you, you have the Colorado both of you guys, wait, yeah, both of you guys have the Big Ten in Colorado, don't you? Or, Sean, you're close, and, Andrew, you have it? Well, so so, so there's 10 big game animals in Colorado uh, that you can hunt with a bow, and I've got eight of the 10. Uh, unfortunately, I can't seem to draw my Shiro's moose or uh, desert bighorn, so those are the two I'm missing, but... Uh, um, yeah, that's and then Andrew, uh, you want to speak to your, your yeah, uh, sure stuff. Yeah, I'll tell you a story. So Sean and I were hanging out, and he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna take my kids to uh, a bow hunter education course." And I thought, you know, I've been bow hunting a long time. Maybe I should take the, the course too, because <laughs> if we go to Alaska, you know, you kind of got to have that that you know have that certification. So. Uh, we're sitting in the, in the class up here in Fort Collins and, uh, Sean, this Sean says, yeah, I'm going for my big eight. And I'm thinking, geez, you know, is that, see the big eight conference is Nebraska, Colorado, right? <laughs> Iowa. And I'm going, what the hell is the big eight? I had no idea what the big eight was. And, um, so Sean tells me about it. I'm thinking, well, that's pretty cool. Um, and so that's when I first heard about the big eight. And so the, Sean didn't do himself justice. The big eight is, you know, mule deer, white-tailed deer, and these have to all be harvested in the state of Colorado. So, so what would I say? Mule deer, white-tailed deer, antelope, elk, black bear, uh, bighorn sheep, rocky, uh, mountain goat, um, and mountain lion. So those are the big eights. So if you got those, um, the mountain, Colorado Bowhunter yeah, Association. Yeah, I said mountain lion. 
So if you get those, you have to, they have to be um, confirmed. And then the Colorado Bowhunter Association, um, you know, acknowledges that in at their annual banquet, you know, they, they present you with the big eight award. So that's kind of a big deal. So Sean, Sean got that. And then for nine and 10, nine is either the Shiris Moose and 10 and or Desert Sheep, as Sean mentioned, and or 10 is the Desert Sheep or the Shiris Moose. So if you have the Shiris Moose or the Desert Sheep, you have the big nine. If you have the Shiris Moose and the Desert Sheep, you have the Big Ten. And just to put things in perspective, I think there's one one person that has the Big Ten archery in Colorado uh, per the, the Colorado Bowhunter Association um, records. Is that right, John? I think that's right. Uh, I think there might be two or three now. There's, Maybe. There's <laughs> okay, but it's, so it's yeah. pretty pretty small club. Uh, the big nine, I have the big nine, my nine, uh, and I try to rub it in Sean's face as often as I can, usually in May when the draw results come out, because I was very, very fortunate to draw my Shiris moose tag. And I think some people saw that film, but Sean was great, gracious enough to, to come film it my once in a lifetime. Uh, so I have the big nine, and uh, it's just a matter of time before Sean gets his, too. And we both can't seem to draw the desert big horn sheep tag. So a lot of one of the things that I want to make sure and, and highlight, um, you, you guys that you you are big on public land hunting. Um, you you guys don't spend a, a ton of money going on guided hunts and everything. You you guys are for the most part do it yourself public land. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, hey, it's really it's hellaciously expensive. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't know what people think of how Hamsky rolls, but you know, we're, we're still the same people we were in the beginning. And, um, you know, we recently, recently went on, um, we've done a several DIY hunts to Alaska with Tim. Um, Sean shot a moose in 2019 on a drop camp. And then most recently in 2022, we went up to the South Brooks range on a drop camp. We had, we had to bring all our own stuff. The guy dropped us and we just went out and started stomping around and hunting. So, we really enjoy that kind of hunting. It's just very, I don't know, satisfying um, for me anyway. So since you guys suck at hyping this up, I'm going to have to help you out. Everything you guys have killed is pretty much. I thought much- Sean was going to dance, start dancing there, but he's just like, yep, that's pretty much it. You, know, uh, we roll. Uh, you guys, as I understand it, um, the only thing uh, you guys – on all of the eight, you only used, you only needed help on one, which was a lion. If I'm not, everything else is on your own, do it yourself. Yeah. For me, it was a lion. Um, Sean is, he's got two mountain lions. Um, Sean, you want to talk about your DIY yeah. on that? That was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, so, you know, as we're, as we're growing up and we're, we're uh, young, just trying to, to get by and we got families and trying to support families and stuff. We don't have a ton of cash to, as Andrew said, do any of these guided or outfitted hunts. And, uh, for me, I, I met a guy, uh, through my work that had hounds and, uh, we became good friends with him and started going chasing lions. And, uh, um, you know, everybody, I thought the lion hunt was going to be an easy hunt and, uh, turned out, I, I think I went out 12 times or something before I killed my first cat. But, uh, 
during that time, we became really, really, really good friends. And uh, my buddy uh, said, hey, you know, why don't you take the dogs next time it snows and go out? And I was able to do that. And and uh, so the first time I killed my cat, my buddy was kind of lining the dogs out, you know, cutting the track. He, this whole 12 hunt process was a learning for me to ultimately be able to take, you know, his dogs and the things that I had learned, you know, with him and then go and, and kill my own cat with, with his dogs, um, on my own. So that, that was pretty rewarding. Um, so that was kind of an interesting, uh, you know, way of, of ultimately really doing it on my own. So when you, um, like with the, with the big eight and uh, I think Justin Davis is another, he's a big ham ski guy as well. I think he has the eight or does he have, yeah, he has the eight, nine, nine. Oh yeah. He, he got his moose. Nine, yeah. yeah. He's missing the, yep. the, yeah. the, the <clears throat> desert. Um, you know, and to put things to, into perspective on the desert, um, I've been fortunate enough to go on a few of those, not myself because I don't have the money. Um, those hunts can range. Well, now they're even more, but you're looking at 65 to a hundred plus thousand to go purchase, um, you know, or pay guided outfitter type hunt for, for desert bighorn. So trying to draw it in Colorado, um, which is one of your options can, can honestly never happen, but there's a chance, but to, to pay for a, a desert t- is fairly expensive. Um, with the, like yeah. I've, I've on that note. <laughs> on that note, Aaron, I don't even know if you can, uh, you can't, Sean, check me here, but I don't think you can buy a desert. If you're going for the big 10, you have to shoot it in Colorado. So, well, uh, and right. You can't, you can't even, you can't even buy it. You can't even buy it in Colorado. Not in Colorado. Um, yeah. Well, and, and yeah. that's, I want to make sure in, in, in context, I just, as far as how coveted they are, um, very difficult animal to get your hands on. And though they don't do and I was going to check with you guys, they don't do a, a raffle tag or an auction tag for the bighorn in Colorado, or they didn't used to, they still don't, it sounds like. Correct. Not, yeah, definitely not for the desert. So Right, yeah, for the yeah. desert. So, um, yeah, that makes it a little more difficult. But I've seen, you guys have videos on some of your hunts. Where can, where can people, do you guys have them on a YouTube page, or where could people check those out? Yeah, we got him on. Uh, yeah, we got him on YouTube, and then um, this just in: uh, we are now shipping um, a thumb drive with every arrow rest, and it has um, our catalog on it uh, for 2023. It has our uh, video hunts. Uh, some of those are just not ours, but you know, Sean's taking the time; is really passionate about. Um, making sure his family is involved in this lifestyle. So he's got uh, Taylor's moose hunt on there, I believe, and Taylor's whitetail hunt. Is that right, Sean? Um, uh, so if you're, yeah, the, yeah. yeah, one of the two, but um, yeah, you can, you can uh, search us on YouTube and find them and, or if you um, uh, are a dealer, um, they can uh, probably have some extra of these thumb drives running around. Um, but yeah, they can find them a couple places. Gotcha. So, um, with like that, the moose hunt this year, or excuse me, the moose hunt, the caribou hunt, uh, dive in, uh, a little bit deeper into that. Talk about that. Like how'd that go? Like people are bugging me constantly, you know, the prices are going up on everything about, 
you know, hey, you know, if, hey, I want to do this, what well, I'm, I'm nervous, I want to come out west, I, you know, whatever, right? And, and I'm like, hey, look, it's, you just have to go. Like, you kind of have to nut up, make the commitment, you might get your <laughs> ass kicked, and you got to go. And, yeah, that's right. And I, I, I hate, I, like, I don't know if you guys ever read my Q and A's. I'm sure I come off like a dick sometimes. Like, I, hey, I want to get into elk hunting. What do I need you? to do? Never. You, you be quiet. And I'm like, well, you need to, <laughs> you need to go hunting. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, you just go. Like, there's, get, well, I don't want to go out there and not see anything. I'm like, well, that's kind of my point. Like, you'll learn something when you, when you go. And and then having done a lot of the hunts you guys are talking about myself, just. Being logistically, making sure the logistical portion of it is as covered as you can, having the physical ability, um, you know, to move around when needed, things like that when you're out there and then focus on having fun and learning and everything else will kind of come into play after that. And it is daunting, but it's it's very doable. I mean, you you guys have done multiple hunts like this and it's not like that, you know, you don't have experience until you go out and, and go. Talk about that. Like when you guys go on some of these hunts, you just hit the ground running and hope for the best. I mean, I basically it's a way to simplify it. Yeah, I'll just give you my, you know, I was, um, yeah, I'm just, I just like being a bow hunter. I tell people I came in this world um, through, you know, into archery as a bow hunter. There's this middle part where I thought I was trying to be a good archer. And then there's going to be the back end where I go out of this world as a bow hunter. Um, so with that said, I, when I was a kid, I, I saw that, you know, would watch these, um, hunting shows, you know, outdoor, I can't remember which ones they were. It's not like cable TV was a thing back then, but, um, I just remember watching this guy caribou hunting with an Oneida screaming Eagle bow, um, in Alaska. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And, you know, I saw some Fred bear clips of him, you know, hunting. And I just thought, gosh, that's that's just the coolest. I got to get to Alaska. Well, that was, I won't tell you how long ago that was. Um, but fast forward to 2014, I, that was my first trip to Alaska. And what you said, Aaron, couldn't be truer. You just got to get off your ass and go. Um, there's no way around it. You can you know, read the magazines. You can, uh, I'll tell you, started my grandfather. I, used to, it's, I grew up in Southern Illinois. So I used to go to my grandfather's place. He, he didn't have a lot of money. Uh, he was in the Navy, uh, World War II. And he loved Alaska. He was stationed up there or something. And he had this magazine, this Alaska magazine on his coffee table, right? And the, the guy died and never went back to Alaska. <laughs> but he read about it in magazines and got the, got the magazine. So I'm thinking, man, I sure in hell don't want, I don't want to uh, end up in that situation where I had the opportunity to go. Um, you know, and I just didn't execute. I just didn't make it happen. Um, so all that was rolling around my head. I got with Tim and I just told me, I got to get to Alaska. You want to go And you know, Tim's got connections. So it was, it was nice to go with someone that was familiar with Alaska. Um, but we ended up going to Kodiak Island in 2014. That was my first trip. And I, I got to tell you, I got, I got off the, you know, the, the float plane went from, uh, Anchorage to, we were on the West side of the Island there and I got off the plane. They dropped us off in, uh, in, a, in a tidal pool area. And I just thought, I told the uh, Roland that the guy that flew us in, I said, you know, I don't even need to hunt right now because that 
float that, <laughs> that flight was the coolest thing. He flew us like low over the mountains because Kodiak mountains are they can be pretty brutal, but they're not. I don't know. They're just different. They seem lower to me than here. But he flew us over these uh, shelves and stuff, and you could just see the mountain goats hanging out and the bears. It was just in the deer. I just I thought, man, I could. Didn't matter if I kill anything now. That was fantastic. Um, we had a great trip that trip, but um, that's how I, you know, Alaska's in me, and and as a result, we keep going back. But to your point, for me, it was just going and jumping in, and you know, hooking up with some people that might have a connection, and if not. There's so much uh, information on the internet now. Uh, you know, I have people hit it, hit me up, they hit Sean up uh, all the time, and we're always, um, you know, more than willing to, to share, um, you know, like you are, Aaron, the gear you need, what you're going to experience, all those kinds of things. But uh, you just got to go. I know Sean yeah. has his uh, Alaska exper- uh, first trip experience too. Well, I, yeah, I think whether it's, uh, Alaska or, you know, from somebody back East, I always hear guys, you know, when I'm out on the SAs and stuff, everybody always wants to come out and go elk hunting. I'm, I'm sure you hear that all the time, Aaron. Uh, everybody wants to come go elk hunting. That's from back East. They've never been, and they don't know where to start. And, uh, you know, when I, I grew up elk hunting, my, uh, my dad managed a, a ranch for, uh, Colorado state university, so I was, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I was pretty spoiled. I had this private ranch up in Northern Colorado that I got to hunt on. And that's where I got to, to learn, uh, how to hunt, to learn what the animals did and, and, uh, you know, came, became pretty proficient at, uh, killing deer and killing elk and killing antelope. And, and, uh, you know, you think, you think you've, uh, got it all figured out, uh, until you go to the public ground <laughs> and then things are a little different. Um, but what that did was that gave me the hunger to try new different challenges and stuff. Um, I got into bow hunting. Um, I, I started rifle hunting on this ranch and that was just, it, it was not a challenge at all. And, uh, I had always told myself when I, when I kill a pretty good bull elk, I'm going to switch and go archery. And uh, nobody in my family had ever picked up a bow. They, uh, uh, you know, they kind of laughed at me when I went out and bought that first bow. And uh, and then that's the, the passion just took off. But uh, I started looking for new challenges um, after bow hunting on the ranch. And that's where I started putting in for these mountain goat tags and bighorn sheep tags and and uh you know even even from there just just wanting a challenge is really you know wanting to test my my skills against the you know different critters so i guess i guess the the big thing is you just got to get out there and and go and do and jump in um and then to kind of piggyback on that i think once you do that it's it's mindset it's having a positive attitude even when you're not finding a good area, you're not getting into game or whatever it is, you know, stand positive. Cause if, if you, if you don't stay positive, you know, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be done and you're going to be back home and, and not wanting to do it again. So I think those are kind of my things is positive mindset. So, so to, to add, you know, to that, because uh, before we move on to more technical stuff, which comes really into play of having fun, because uh, 
think Andrew, when you guys were getting going or before that, I think I had called, you may not even remember this. This was like a decade and a half ago. Um, and, and Andrew's always been very technical. I think I'd shot at a very large bull at a very steep uphill angle. And, uh, yeah, I don't know how far I shot in front of it, but it was uh, uh, quite a ways. And, uh, I was like, Hey man, I got to do something about my fourth access. And you were like, what? And then you made fun of me for a while. I'm like, you know, the angle thing. And anyway, um, when you are heading out West, part of being prepared, you know, as far as you've got, you're going to go, you've made the commitment. A lot of people worry about like, Hey, what clothing should I wear? Which is important or, or, uh, you know, Hey, what headlamp or whatever, but then they kind of maybe leave out or, or they focus on something on their, like the crazy FOC stuff or what, you know, that, but then they kind of leave out accuracy and, uh, you know, your, your arrow actually hitting the target correctly, uh, or your sight being level. And some of the things that I've, I've really noticed is the distance, um, affects people, right? They're not used to shooting as far and then potentially the angles, especially for mule deer and sometimes Oak and Colorado, cause it's so steep, um, which is where you guys really come into play. Like, um, I, I carry the, the Hamsky level everywhere with me in, in my truck and my pack. And especially when I'm guiding for all the people that show up, cause we have such steep angles we shoot at down in the Davis. Um, yeah, hey, Andrew, do you remember making fun of me over that shot? Does that ring a bell at all? Well, um, you know, I, I just gotta say, I don't, I don't need you to ask me a question to make fun of you. So it helps. Um, there's that. <laughs> there's that. <laughs> make fun of you, <laughs> and you make fun of me anytime we sow juice. So that's kind of cool. Uh, I kind of vaguely remember that. I think you you uh, you were describing that shot to me, and you said you missed. And I think I asked you, was it uphill or downhill? Um, and you told me, and I said, well, I can tell you which which way you missed, left or right. And uh, you're like, what? And I can't remember, but I think that's how it went. I mean, it comes from that third axis um, site leveling stuff that I think we're known for, um, you know, greatly helped by Tim. Um, but uh, quantifying the missed distance based on angle um, of the shot, you know, uphill or downhill, um, based on how much torque is in your bow. Um, and just doing doing that math, you know, really illuminated how important third axis is at full draw um, because everything else being equal and you don't have your third axis set at full draw. If you're out west and you're shooting 50 yards in a mule deer, it's bad enough. You know, you got to make a, per- a really, really good shot. Your equipment's got to be spot on. Your footing's got to be the best it can. And then if you have an inherent error in your system <laughs> because your sight's not set for third axis at full draw, the best you can miss is by like three to four inches. And um, and that's for one degree of uh, torque in your bow. So you got two degrees that goes from goes from three to four to, you know, six to eight inches. It's just linear. And uh, yeah, so... That's what got me really tuned up to it and, and advocating for it and, you know, um, quantifying those kinds of things really helps put things into perspective. And it's uh, it's really important for sure. And and so with that, just as, as people are listening in, a, a good example that, you know, with different questions I get. Um, you know, recently on some of this stuff is like, Hey, do I want a direct mount or do I want a dovetail? Does it matter out West? And I'm like, look, um, 
you know, you can't go back and listen to 1800 podcasts I've done with different people. I'm going to give you some highlights, but w- one of the things I'm like, Hey, you, you want to make sure out of the gate that your, um, you know, your peep, your, your, your peep site, your housing, uh, right, you know, matches up with your housing. That's very, very important. And, you know, once you have that, uh, kind of dialed in and figured out, um, cause you know, that can cause a lot of lefts and rights, peep fading, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. then you want to make sure your site's level, um, you know, and, and, and guys will in, in, um, like at, uh, with YouTube brainiacs on, on the mic here, if your range finder is correct, which there's only actually two that will be on a 47 degree slope at 68 yards after the cut, um, most sites that I have found like out of the, the, the package, people not leveling them correctly, even if you are good on flat ground out to 68 yards, you can miss up to or more a couple feet when your third axis isn't level. So whoever of you two want to handle this, explain third axis, explain why it's important, and explain how to level it with with your system. I don't know which one of you two wants yeah, to handle so it. We'll do, yeah, we'll do this two-part. First of all, uh, I'll, I'll share some numbers with Let's quantify what Aaron said and then hand it over to Sean to describe it. But in our in our catalog, we have for the back, I think it's page 22, um, we have a miss chart. And uh, what it does is on the left side, it says shot angle and across the column headings is the, as I mentioned, the miss distance, basically the error based on the shot angle and how far away the shot is. So Aaron, you said like, 47 ish degrees. Yeah. Right. Yep. And the air dist air distance, uh, you're shooting at the cut was like right at 70 ish yards. So this chart, basically it's this trig and it, and it says you're going to miss if you have one degree of torque in your bow. So you from static to full draw your bow rotates in your hand one degree, which is actually uh, not a lot for a hunting bow that has a short axle axle and high poundage and high let off. This one degree of torque gives you eight inches of miss distance. That's just sheer pure math. That's before you add anything else. So if you bow, Aaron, what bow were you shooting? At that time, like 80 pounds. High, yeah. uh, I think it, Short no, it was axle. 90 in, uh, which is why I don't do this anymore. Yeah. It was a carbon spider turbo at, uh, I think 94 pounds. Right. And it was like 33 inches axle axle or something. Yeah. So yeah. 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 So those those are just compounding factors. That bow might have had probably three degrees, I'm going to guess, degrees of torque left to right. So you just multiply eight times three, and you get 22 feet. <laughs> Does that sound about right? And that sounds horrible. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I tried That's to block. True. true. Yeah, well, and block it out of your mind. <laughs> yeah, when you were asking, I'm like, you know, I pretty much blocked that out, and I, I, uh, you know, it's kind of like alcoholism. I'm like. One, I don't need to shoot 95 pounds. I don't need to shoot a short bow. I just need to hit the fucking animal. Like that's imperative, right? So I started focusing on the next decade and a half on those aspects of life and not, uh, not 95. There's a saying in, yeah, there's a saying in tactical weapons, just put energy on target, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) But, but um, that's just pure math and that's, You know, that's after you set your first and second axis. And if you set your third axis statically in a bow vise, 
these numbers assume you got all that right, and this is only the error associated with going to full draw. Um, so that does this doesn't even account for if you don't have your first and second access set and you don't have your third access set at static. So I'll just turn over to Sean to to help describe the static to full draw difference. Yeah, I I think a lot of people I hear all the time. Uh, you know, we, we hear it all the time at different trade shows and stuff that people just put their their bows in a vise and they they level everything statically. And um, people or I hear it a lot. Um, I don't get much torque in my bow. I got this bridge riser. Um, it's stiff, the right, you know, and, and people, um, the torque that we're talking about is more, more of a pivot. So, uh, and to best describe that, um, when, when a bow is drawn back, the load behind the string transfers over to the cables and that's what causes the bow to pivot in the hand is now the load is pulling more on the cables opposed to the string. And so when that bow pivots in the hand, the, the sight that's attached, and, and if it was leveled statically, that, that whole sight and everything pivots. And so for a right-handed archer, it pivots to the, the right. Um, and so to adjust your third axis, you have to have a, a way to adjust that at full draw and adjust ultimately the bubble. It doesn't have to be all the pins. Um, a lot of times, it can be all the pins, but it's it's the bubble that has to be adjusted back uh, square to the path of the uh, travel of the arrow, which is really hard to explain over a uh, a phone call. Um, we actually have videos, free videos on our website that that uh, shows the what is third axis and why is it important, and then we have uh, additional videos showing the how do you adjust for uh, third axis using our uh, our tool that we developed um, to do that at full draw. But um, I, I don't know if that kind of helps explain uh, what it is. Um, you know, other times if there, you'll see guys with, uh, um, uh, I, I'll ask guys this all the time. I'll say, hey, if you ever looked at your, uh, like knocked your arrow with the bow at static, and you line your arrow up with the string and you're just kind of eyeballing it behind the string and you look and for a right-handed archer, you'll notice your pins are always to the left of the string for a right-handed archer. If you're a left-handed archer, it's the opposite, but, and they, they never could understand why their pins aren't lining up with the string. And what they don't understand is they are lining up with the string at full draw but their bubble is not. And that bubble, when they think they're leveling the bow, they're actually canting the bow differently when they're going uphill or downhill. Um, and so the the key to third axis is to be able to adjust it at full draw and adjust the bubble to where it's square so that you're not changing your cant uphill or downhill. Um, that's really the the what you know what is third axis and and uh and so to adjust for it we have a system that we designed where we use a a tool that's attached to your site it's got a uh, and you first you level your first and second axis which i think most people understand that i won't go into that uh, in detail right now but uh 
For the third axis, we have an alignment rod that is um, a vertical rod that is uh, perpendicular to our uh, level that's on our tool. And for the third axis, we, you actually ignore the bubble in our tool and you use the alignment rod as your level. And, and people probably aren't grasping that concept, but if you take a plumb bob line and you hang a plumb bob, uh, laws of physics uh, state that because of gravity, that plumb bob has to be vertical. And that alignment rod that is now perpendicular to our level, you draw the bow back and you aim that that alignment rod on the plumb bob line, which we know is, is vertical. Um, and then you kind of look with your non-dominant eye to see what the bubble in your sight is doing. Uh, and, and you're aiming at a either extreme uphill or extreme downhill angle when you're aiming this uh, alignment rod on the um, plumb bob. Uh, th that's what you're doing the, this process um, at an extreme up or downhill angle. And then you're looking to see what the bubble in your, your sight is doing. And if it's not, if the bubble in your sight is not centered, then you need to let down and make an adjustment. Um, and usually that adjustment is back in towards the, the archer to your third axis. And then you need to check it again. And uh, until that bubble is in the middle, that's kind of how you um, set your third axis. There's really only two ways to set third axis. And one is to go out and shoot it in an extreme up or downhill uh, conditions that not everybody has access to uh, or to use a, a tool like like the one we've designed. So and you you guys had uh well i think andrew you had mentioned or both of you you know about the full draw portion of it what what i had explained to people and i'd be curious to get um your feedback on this is is i do put it in a vice and get everything level to get it close as as close as possible and then i do it again at full draw and i try to do the same thing with clients just because drawn back, letting down, drawn back, letting down. I found it's a little bit quicker for me because their site could be so jacked up that it's really a lot faster for me to put it into a vice first. Um, even though I get made fun yeah, of, that's the, go ahead. No, that's the right process. No, totally. Here's, you have to have foundationally, you can't do this third, third axis setting, um, at full draw. If you can't even begin to do that, if your first, second axis aren't orthogonal to each other or, or at right angles, um, that's a given. So you have to do that first, no question. Well, and and I I have brought up to people before, like to make it really really quick for me, and 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 everybody looks at looks at things through their own optics. Just because I don't want to dick with it forever, I'll throw a guy's side on a bright side to get it close then throw it on the, uh, you know what I mean? If we're, it's dark, we're sitting mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, in, in camp, I'll throw it on there or I'll put your, um, uh, you know, I'll just slap yours on there. I, I like the, what's the older version called? Uh, the easy, easy level? Easy third axis level. Easy third, yeah. yeah. That one, I'll just throw that one on. Same principle, right? If I'm putting it between my legs, if I have to redneck it. And, yep. and that's where Tim and I have argued a bit is like, look, dude, we're bringing in 50 clients. Like 
I'm just doing my best, right? I'm just, <laughs> I can't. I like I'm getting, you're getting it in the zip code is what you're doing. Yeah. It's like, look, man, they came down their Their, their, their level is totally off from top to bottom. And I'm just trying to get them as close as we can. Cause the probability of taking a, I mean, and, and you guys have probably seen some of the videos where guys, we had a guy from California. It was so steep. I almost shoot his toe off. Like, no shit. We have it on video. I have shrapnel in my calf muscle to prove it. I'm like, scoot forward a couple inches. He's like, I got it right in front of his toe. I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm sad. He, I'm glad he signed the waiver because uh, we you got to. <laughs> so, and, and, and with that, like, the first time I, I tried to explain this to somebody, I'm like, go stand on a third story building, shoot something five feet out from the base of it. That is the shot you may take to where I'm like holding on like no shit to their belt with my foot up against their heel, leaning them out saying, don't worry, I've got you. Yeah. You know, um, and so that third, we, Uh, we, we really dove into this in great depth over the last three years between your system leveling everything out and then the range finding portion of it to the cut charts. I think what people don't understand is what, what is your, what is it? 89 bucks. I just bought one. I think they're 89 bucks um, for the level. Yeah. The yeah. I2 level yeah. is 89 and I, the original easy third axis is like 60 bucks. Yeah. That for 60 to $89, I promise you that will pay its way. It's It, it will pay for itself a million times over. Cause the other thing is, you eat shit coming off a cliff. You left the house. Everything's fine, right? You fall off a cliff. Yeah. And the next thing you know, you're doing that here. Let me just hold it up. It looks kind of level. I just, I pack that thing in. I, I, I bring it with me. So with me rambling on, talk about some of these different um, options that you could use this level four, like being in the field, you can just throw it on. It's like, oh, sure. uh, you know, just draw your bow back occasionally throughout the course of the day with the level on. Yeah, so I'll just give you some more um, in situ, um, you know, examples. So I was at Reading, standing there. Um, I think people, if you don't know who Chuck Cooley is, you know, he's been around archery a long time. He comes running over to me and says, hey, man, you got that third axis level on me? I'm like, sure. I, I gave him up. You know, you're not special, Aaron. I give everyone a hard time. So I'm, I asked Chuck, I'm like, so where's your tool? He said, I didn't bring it, didn't pack it, even on the Reading shoot. He said, someone in their group, you know, some someone backed up or whatever, wrecked this guy's bow. And, you know, they didn't have time to go back to the, you know, get it all sighted in and all that. But they noticed that their, their sight was jacked. So we just hung up a plumb bob in a tree, you know, with a stick. The guy, you know, helped him do the third chuck. They actually helped him do the third axis. And the guy shot and he just kept going. Um, so that's that's an example of, tournament scenario accidents happen people are around um save you some time and uh you know some emotional heartache other ones are what you just said you take a digger on side of a hill you're in the middle of nowhere you could be in the middle of nowhere on the back part of your um you know whitetail hunt on a 40 acre patch and you're like crap i don't want to get out of the tree or you know disturb things um 
I had this happen uh, talking to Clint Casper, and he said he, he dropped. He was pulling his bow up, and he smashed it on one of his tree sticks, right? And uh, he was looking at his sight. But a lot of there's just a lot of ways you can you can uh, jack up your sight. Yes, and uh, having that third axis level in your pack allows you to assess it. If nothing else, assess it. The bat, you know, the damn like all all stations report battle damage, yeah. <laughs> and you can check it and go. I can, I, I'm good. I can stay in the tree, right? I can stay in the tree and hunt and not disturb, you know, my hunting spot and have that peace of mind. And, or you go, Oh, you know what? I, if so, if the bug comes and walks out, my sight is jacked, I'm going to wound it. I just need to get out of clear out of here. So it's just not a like, Hey, you got, it works only in the Western hunting scenario. Definitely third axis at full draw air is anytime you pull your bow back in any situation, um, tree stand hunting included. So, so yeah, I think it's just, just another, uh, tool in the tool bag that gives you peace of mind. It's kind of like knowing how to tie in a, a D loop or fix a bit of serving, you know, if you're, you know, if you're in that once in a lifetime hunt or, or whatever, and you, you know, you're not anywhere near a, a bow shop or anything, you've just got one more, thing to give you that confidence that when that you know shot that you've worked so hard to put yourself in position on comes comes to arise you you can make that shot so so i'm i'm going to add a little bit more to this just because i try to drive this home um you book a goat hunt in british columbia you know it's in tsa is is not your friend i will say that immediately so if you you make it through that battle of of getting your bow up there and nobody's jacked with your stuff then you're generally going to get picked up by a truck that's going to get your bows thrown in the back of the truck in its case then you unload and you've got a few options between uh, very small planes, but generally you're going to end up on a horse or hiking in. So then you're on a horse. I personally suggest using a bow sling and keeping that bow on you on the horsey ride in because horses are crazy. I'm not a big fan. So that could be four, five, six, seven, eight hours on a horse of beating the holy ever living hell out of your bow. Then you hike in the next morning, strap the bow to your pack, uh, you know, the back of your pack or you carry it in. And then you get to the top of the mountain and you've paid twelve to $20,000 for this goat hunt because you can't go hunt goats in BC without a guide. Got to have one. So you spend all that money, but you didn't spend $60 on a level and put it in your pack. So I'm trying to drive this home. It's fucking important because I have people miss all the time because they didn't. So I pack it for them now. And believe me, I have missed because of not doing this. So a simple peace of mind after all that happens you just throw it on, yeah. draw your bow back. Super simple. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then to, to dogpile on that, you know, we went on that caribou hunt. And uh, first thing they tell you is, you know, leave your bow case at the at the uh, charter flight. <laughs> so your your bow is naked right from from Fairbanks all the way up to wherever you're flying. Most of the time, it's not even in a case. Uh, yeah. And then you get on the, you know, your float plane or your, you know, your tundra wheeled plane, and they very gingerly put your bow in the back of the super cub or whatever, 
And then when, you know, you're flying along and you look back and you're like, huh, I wonder how that backpack got on top of my bow. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I, I've had them strap. I've had them strap my yeah. bow to the wing struts on super cubs before. <laughs> like you just, yeah. you just never know what to. You just never know, on. man. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, but to your point, Aaron, you just gotta, you gotta have the right, um, to what Sean was saying, you know, this third access tool is just, it's peace of mind. I don't go anywhere without it. I'm the same way you are, Aaron. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's literally as simple as, um, the difference between being successful or not having a really good experience and having a really torturous one. If you wound an animal or a mess. Well, and the, the other thing I, I think I'd like to add to this is once you, once you truly understand what third axis is, uh, it, it, you'll be able to tell real quickly if your if your third axis is off or not, or what it should look like, you know, on a top view looking down on your site or or whatever. Um, that that's that's the other thing is it just makes you a better bow technician. I, I don't know if that's the right thing, but in those situations you can uh, problem solve a lot quicker and find out, you know, if there's an issue and if so, what is the issue? So, and, and I mean, adding to that just a little bit more, if um, it, when people carry a few extra arrows with judo tips or whatever, or a field tip, right? You don't have a target. You've hiked in three, four miles and you think your sight might be off. You know, one of the things that I used to do is just shoot an arrow and okay, is it on or not? The thing with the that if your level's off a little bit, and there's been two or three sites I've used recently, great sites, but that that third axis does come off, is you are saving yourself at least one shot, potentially breaking that arrow by readjusting it back into place. Meaning if you didn't have the, 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 the level with you and you're firing a confirmation arrow, there's nothing saying even if you're firing into it you know, air quotation, soft patch of, patch of dirt, you're getting that arrow back, right? Unless it's a stick bow, which, mm -hmm. so you put that on, that one shot has a much higher potential after leveling it when you're firing one of your extra arrows with a field point and, and you know, at 40 or 50 yards. And that's a big lifesaver too, because arrows become real important when you're five miles in because there's nothing worse than being black on ammo and heading back out to the trailhead with no arrows at all. And this happened to one of my buddies on a sheep hunt. He fired three or four to confirm his bow was on, and then he ended up <laughs> missing a few times. We had to hike out because we didn't have enough arrows. That level would yeah. have saved that problem. So, Well, not, not only that, but uh, I've been on hunts you know, where you're, you're glassing from below and, uh, it's relatively flat where you're down glassing. And in order to, to check that, you know, if you're going to shoot an arrow to confirm that you don't have any, any terrain really to, to tell if it's your third axis that's off or not. Cause you don't have, you know, it's flat where you're at, even though, you know, you're going to go up. Um, yeah. So it's just having, having the equipment or the tools, uh, to, to know you're good before you go where you're going is, is uh, peace of mind. Definitely. So wh why don't you guys talk a little bit about your, um, uh, your, the arrow level uh, that you have come out with? Cause I, I have not had my hands on it. I have several that currently that suck. So I'm excited to, to try yours. My, my current arrow leveling um, 
it's probably equivalent of like a 13 cent level. That's like a string level. They're not very accurate. So talk a little bit about that system you guys just came out with. Yeah, sure. So, um, first of all, I'll give credit where credit's due. Devin, um, Hall that works for us and helps us with design and all things technical. Uh, you know, he's a tinker and he used to work in a pro shop and, uh, he's always trying to find a better way to quantify, you know, his setup and, and just help archers in general. So, so kind of his brainchild, but what it is, is it's, um, it's machined out of aluminum, 100%, right? And it's uh, got a V, if you will, that um, straddles the arrow, so it's always aligned on the arrow. But the, what the cool thing about it, it has a couple of slider gauges or rulers <clears throat> that are laser marked in the lateral position for 13, 16. So you mount it on your arrow, you're, you um, knock your arrow, and then you can you know exactly where the center of your arrow is relative to the inside of your riser being 13 sixteenths of an inch from center shot. Uh, so that's a great way to quantifiably know exactly where your arrow is when you start your tuning process, you know. Uh, in addition to that, it has a slider that holds the uh, arrow level when it's attached to the arrow in the vertical position. So you know how like on a blade rest, you, you know, the, the arrow is always hanging over and bending the blade and you never can quite figure out where it is. So this slide vertical slider, we call it the kickstand, actually holds your arrow up. And, um, you know, if you want it exactly through the burger hole, you can actually set that, preset that um, based on arrow diameter that we have laser marked in the side of the level. And you can basically set your center shot and as a starting point, exactly 13 sixteenths uh, measured in vertically where your burger hole is. And then you can level the arrow to the string with the two axis turret level we have in the device itself. Um, so that's what's great about it is you don't have to try to hold a ruler or a dial caliper and guess where the center of your arrow is. Uh, we have a gauge, a ruler that actually um, measures that for you. Yeah. Got you. And maybe, maybe to add to that a little bit, uh, I, you know, a lot of guys, they've got their way on, on, you know, how they set their bows up. I'm, I'm no different. I've, I've been doing it a certain way for years and years, but once I find a, a setup or, or figure out the magic, you know, where my uh, D loop is in relation to my burger hole, you know, how my, where my arrows sitting or on a, any particular setup. Once I get that setup dialed, I use the tool more as a data collection, uh, tool because then i'll i'll look it's got all the different uh measurement increments on the um, aluminum rulers uh and then i'll just take notes so that uh for my tournament setups i can you know if i change the strings or maybe have to you know change a a shim or something in in the uh axle i can put everything back exactly where it was uh set up and and uh grouping the best for me so I use it more for data collection, but uh, it's it's a really multifunctional uh, piece of uh, or tool. So now that makes sense. So um, with the uh, rewinding, just a little bit, going back to the arrow rests, um, you've had a few different versions now um, with all the different new bridge lock, um, direct mounting, Picatinny. Uh, options that these the the bow companies have now. 
um, not disparaging them, right? But how much has, has that been an epic pain in your ass? Uh, I, 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 from a pr- perspective of looking at it, of a guy tuning bows all the time for people, that looks like that would suck as a manufacturer to keep up. Um, and if that's, I'm not trying to sound negative with that, but I would not want to deal with it if I were you. How is that going? <laughs> well, I guess there's, uh, for us, you know, it's, um, we're always looking at the industry um, and what, you know, competitors, um, competitive mates, um, and just what the industry in general is doing. Bow manufacturers are a big piece of it. You know, we always viewed ourselves as an accessory um, company. Um, You know, we didn't think about the relationship with the bow manufacturer as, we do now, uh, for instance, prime archery is, uh, we're doing an OEM with them on our Epsilon rest, right? So we're starting to partner more and we're starting to see the importance of it, whether maybe you're old school, like you are, Aaron, I'm kind of the same way, which is all these new interfaces, you know, front, back, top, left, right. It's, it's crazy. Um, there's utility in it. I see it, but at the same time, you know, on the other side of the coin is, People have been killing stuff, a lot of stuff, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, standard interfaces for a really long time. For us, um, we do have to assess it and give it its, you know, due course and merit um, because if there's uh, makes our product better, um, you know, that's where we want to be. I hope that answered the question. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it does. And I don't, like I said, I don't mean that in a, a negative way because it's always, uh, evolution is amazing, right? You're always evolving. Right. Things are better. But coming from a manufacturing standpoint, evolution is SKUs and SKUs suck. It's, and that's just a fuck. <laughs> yeah. That's a fact, right? There's no getting around that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every time we come out with something, Sean's like, that's more SKUs. And I'm like, Really? I guess so. Sean's always reminding me. He's like, dude, that's like 12 more skews. And I'm like, oh, right. Left hand, right hand, you know, shoot it upside down. Right. All I, that I, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not totally. only the skew, the skew thing for the, the dealer or the distributor uh, that, you know, there's challenges there, but it's, it's the, um, you know, all these different bow manufacturers, they're trying to come up with their new latest and greatest technology. And sometimes their new technology uh, may not fit or work with what you've been working on, or they may come up with something so unique and different that there's maybe one or two options and that's it for arrow rest as an example. Um, So that's, that's our challenge is, is, uh, designing a product that will fit all the different, uh, parameters and bow models, et cetera, that are out there. If, if we were just designing to one particular model or maybe let's say one manufacturer's brand, um, it would be easy. Uh, but the real challenge is, is, is coming up with a product that will work and fit everybody's brand. I mean, there, you know, we were talking just a minute ago about, you know, setting the level to 13 sixteenths. Well, not all bow manufacturers set to 13 sixteenths. And I guess that's important to note our, our arrow level, you can adjust whatever the bow manufacturer's center shot is. Um, so that's, I guess that's the real challenge is, is uh, making something that's going to 
fit and fit well and form and, and perform as it's supposed to, uh, on all the different bow models out there and manufacturers. Yeah. So. No, and I mean, obviously not, not your, there's no fault here, but on a couple bows I've put your rests on recently, I definitely wish I had smaller, uh, fingers for the, uh, the up and down, uh, to try to get my <laughs> fingers. And there's a, there's a cable guard there and you ain't getting around that. Right. right. And so I'm like one thing, index finger on one side and the other, like, you know, shifting it, obviously you're not moving that all the time. And, you know, looking at it from a design perspective, I'm like, I don't know what I could have done different on, on my end, you know, just looking at it and you know how it is when you have a sure. design mind. Um, like recently we put, um, so I've never set up a 34 inch draw before, but, uh, Anders has a legitimate 34 and change draw. So we had to put him on a Hoyt Highline and then he had a, uh, the overdraw, uh, from you guys. And I had, I think your Epsilon didn't fit on it, but the, I had a Trinity, um, that, that did. And that don't, is that right with that specific model? Yep. Okay. So we yep. put, put the Trinity on it, which worked great. Um, but then I'm thinking like, how many overdraws do you guys make for how many, like, is an overdraw still uh, a thing? Like, I, you know, I, I remember back in the day, like, do you guys have to do quite a few overdraws or is that for just a couple bows? That's a, it's a small market, but there's still definitely a need for it. Uh, the, the overdraw, it really does two things. Um, you know, it gives some, you know, the latest thing is now torque tuning, you know, to improve accuracy. And it, it does offer some torque tuning uh, capability. But then the other thing is, you know, you got the Tim Gillinghams and the, you know, these long, super long draw guys that, that need, they can't get a stiff enough arrow. And the only way to get a stiff enough arrow is to shorten that arrow, cut that arrow down a little bit. Uh, and, you know, they've got to have an overdraw to get a stiff arrow in a lot of cases. So, yeah, that's that's why we were messing it on Anders' bow is to get a 250 spine to, you know, to fly. And and I think also it was just flat out the uh, archery god was paying me back for bringing 90-pound bows into pro shops. It's equivalent of uh, <laughs> tuning a 34-inch draw. That was a bit of a, a pain in the butt. But what uh, – do you guys have anything else? We're, we're at a little over an hour. I don't want to take your whole morning up. Is there anything else you guys want to add, up-and-coming things, shows you're going to be at and where they can find you, that type of stuff? Sure. Yeah, we're going to be in the Vegas shoot here coming up next week. That's what's immediate. Um, I think we've got some uh, uh, total archery challenge um, on the calendar this summer. Uh, we'll Sean and crew will be at uh, all the ASAs. Um, we'll be in Reading. So yeah, we'll be out there. You can find us. Then where can they, uh, website, social media, anything like that? Yeah, we have uh, Hamski Archery on both the um, uh, Instagram platform and Facebook, of course. And then um, you can find us at www.hamskiarchery.com. As Sean mentioned earlier, no, we have all our instructional videos on there. Uh, we have all the instructions and setup instructions for all our products. Um, so, um, if, if anything, and you need some more clarification on what we talked about today, you can go ahead and, uh, check out our website. It'll have all that information for you. And, uh, we also have, uh, uh, you know, where you can call in for tech support. We've got a direct tech line, um, that'll get you to, 
to guys on our end that can help talk through and, uh, um, you know, dissect any issues that you're having and, uh, you know, get you, get you hopefully going the right direction. Well, cool. Well, I appreciate, uh, you guys hopping on and, uh, you know, talking about your company as well as some of your different, you know, hunting adventures and, uh, the friendship, uh, as well as the products. Obviously I'm a, a big fan. Um, and, uh, Who's zipping? Who's packing their lunch? Which one of that is? Which that was one? me. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's funny. But no, I pre- and the products, obviously, I, I the, the level as much as anything has, has saved my bacon, especially with clients. So I can't can't recommend everything enough. Aaron, we appreciate, appreciate you having that. us on. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. And it's a pleasure uh, taking a few minutes to talk with you. Cool. All right. Sounds good. Everybody check out Hamsky Archery and uh, also make fun of Tim Gillingham as as much as you can. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. (laughs) 